Welcome to Professors Talk Pedagogy, a podcast from the Academy for Teaching and Learning at Baylor University. I'm your host, Christopher Richmond. Professors Talk Pedagogy presents discussions with great professors about pedagogy, curriculum, and learning in order to propel the virtuous cycle of teaching. As we frankly and critically investigate our teaching, we open new lines of inquiry. We engage in conversation with colleagues, and we attune to students' experiences, all of which not only improves our teaching, but enriches and motivates ongoing investigation. And so the cycle continues. Today, our guests are a roster of senior fellows from recent years of our Baylor Fellows Program. This fellowship recognizes professors across the disciplinary spectrum who exemplify excellence in teaching. Baylor Fellows are committed to a year-long process of pedagogical innovation, inspirational teaching, and the cultivation of these among Baylor faculty. Joining us today, we have Nadine Welch, Associate Chair of Residential Academic Programs, Clinical Associate Professor and Undergraduate Program Director in Communication Sciences and Disorders, and a returning guest to the show in the Robbins College of Health and Human Performance. We have Holly Collins, Associate Professor of French, Lynn Prater, Clinical Professor of Nursing and Undergraduate Level 4 Coordinator in the Louise Harrington School of Nursing, and Chris Meyer, Associate Professor in Management in the Hankamer School of Business, all here at Baylor University. We are delighted to have these faculty on the show to discuss how pedagogical experiments take shape, what we can learn from colleagues in other disciplines, and thinking about your long-term trajectory as a teacher. All right. Well, Chris Meyer, Nadine Welch, Holly Collins, Lynn Prater, thank you for joining the show today. We are thank delighted. You. We are delighted to talk today about your experiences, and you all have different experiences with this because you were in different cohorts, but your experiences with what we call the Baylor Fellows Program. And I thought maybe a helpful way to kind of enter into this conversation would be to ask you to do a little comparing of your experiences as what we would just call a regular fellow. And we've invited you on the show because you are all have served as senior fellows as well, which means that you, after a year as a as a fellow, you were selected to kind of carry on and create some continuity for the next group and take a leadership role in the second year that you were a part of the program. So uh, maybe I'll ask Nadine, uh, because you have most recently had this transition from the regular fellow to the senior fellow, what has been your experience about how that how that is different? Well, um, thanks for having us first. It is fun at any time that we get to talk about the fellows program. Um, and it has been different this year. So aside from um, the administrative pieces, it's been a year of um, so far this fall of really being more focused on the other fellows rather than self-focus on myself, which is probably how we should lead every day of our life. But, um, you know, it's just that chance of knowing last year I was trying to figure out what I should be doing. I was very self-focused on myself and my project. And this year it's been really fun to sit back and see the other fellows in the group and the ideas that they've come up with. So just a little bit more brain space probably to focus and and listen to what my colleagues were doing rather than worrying about what I'm doing. 
Yeah. And Chris, you, I think you were the first, you were the inaugural senior fellow. So you were kind of paving the way on that. So what was that experience like for you? I, I was, and it was an interesting experience. And I would echo what Nadine said. I started out in the program just really focused on how am I innovating? What are the things that I'm doing in the classroom? And I know that there were you know, we had a cohort and the cohort was great because we all bounced ideas and we had some really excellent ideas in the room at the time. And then when Lenore asked me to continue on um, in the senior fellow role, I was a little surprised, um, but very excited to then step into that leadership role and really think through how can we all integrate better? How can we all learn more from each other? And that was a really exciting time to continue along and really focus on what is everyone doing instead of just how, you know, can I keep my head above water? Can I, can I do this experimentation on my own and, and make it work? And it was a really excellent experience to work with a cohort, having had some experience going through an experimentation in my classroom and saying, don't be afraid. There are things that aren't going to work and that's okay. Don't be afraid. There are things that are going to go wrong. Don't be afraid. That's okay. And that was a really liberating experience to have gone through it for a year and then to continue on. Yeah. Lynn, you if if I've got my dates right here, you were a fellow and senior fellow during COVID transitions. Um, and I think Holly had a little bit of that as well. But uh, so how did that affect you know, yeah. the meetings and just how you functioned together as a cohort? Yeah, so thank you, um, Dr. Richmond, about that. Yes, yeah, so when I was a fellow, my year as a fellow, we were um, in in regular mode, meeting all together in, in the classroom um, over in the building where uh, the ATL meets. Um, and then when I was asked to be the senior fellow is when the pandemic happened. So 2021, we started out in the the uh, fountain mall tent uh, because we thought we were going to be able to in august come back together and 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 be um be present together in in a space uh, on, on the tent on the mall and so our first our first meeting happened in that tent it was there was a wind uh, rainstorm happening the tent flaps were blowing but craig our um wonderful um helper brought in all the equipment we needed and we had projector and microphone, and we really were, uh, I was pretty determined that we would be face-to-face -face mm -hmm. for this wonderful ex exchange of ideas. But after that first meeting um, with trying to pass around a microphone and keep it clean and and deal with the outside noises um, for our microphones, anyway, we realized that it just was not going to work. And so we went into uh, virtual mode and uh, continued our meetings on Zoom. So um, then that that sort of changed. Um, uh, it just changes the dynamics, uh, not, not for the not for the worse, but we just had to change. We had to make that change as we were all doing in our classrooms anyway. So it sort of brought into the reality for us as a group what we were all experiencing as faculty and teachers with our students. Um, so that um, 
but it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, and because I'm not on the main campus, being um, being a fellow, um, I got to meet certainly people that I had not met and, and heard their projects. But being the senior fellow, I've, I felt like, like you all were saying, it was, it was, I was able to focus on the faculty at hand and learn so much from the different disciplines. I think the beauty of this um, of this program is that we have uh, different the different disciplines together sharing and you know nursing does things way different than Marius and mathematics right I mean that's a whole nother deal but but we had some similarities too that we were able to borrow from each other our teaching um, uh, strategies so I would say the pandemic moving from um, moving from in the in the classroom face to face to our virtual uh, for, format was uh, probably one of the biggest differences from my being uh, a, a regular fellow to being senior fellow and, and running the show, so to speak. Yeah. Well, Holly, anything to add on that? Well, I think that the the virtual format worked well with the theme for that year because it was, you know, technology in the classroom and using technology right. students. Right. So, you know, like Lynn said, you know, we tried really hard that first meeting to all be together, but it was just, just I have, I have flashbacks of the tent, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've got a picture on my computer in case anybody wanted to see it. I've yeah, the noises and, that first and all of that. Um, and I think that to to have continued in that manner, particularly since we were focusing on technology, it would have been difficult. So it it worked well, and Lynn did a great job, you know, kind of keeping us all engaged in the you know Zoom format. Um, but as far as my senior fellow year, uh, I would say that the the phrase herding cats comes to mind, you know, so trying to get 10 academics doing the same thing at the same time. And there's not just any academics. I mean, the, you know, the fellows program are the, are the top people. So it's, it's, you know, academics, colleagues that have really big projects going on who are typically working on, you know, several committees, several uh, interdisciplinary endeavors with, you know, with their colleagues. So we all have very busy schedules and it was, it was hard to get everybody together. I think at one moment I reached out to Lenore and asked her, you know, we're, we're not finding a time, you know, what do we do? Is it okay if, you know, one person misses this month, but then we make sure that that person doesn't miss the next one. And she said, well, you know, we really need to get everybody together. How about 7 a.m.? <laughs> and that really lit a fire under me because I am not a <laughs> person. So I kind of reached out to the group and a couple of people said, yeah, I can do 7 a.m. And I'm sitting there, you know, fretting, thinking, oh, this is this is terrible. I can't do it. Uh, but we eventually were able to work out a schedule. And um, it was really I mean, I just say like really cool to be the senior fellow that year because the the things that that everybody was working on just blew me away. And, you know, I, I can reiterate what the rest of you have said that, you know, in your regular fellow year, you're working on your project, you're doing your thing, you're learning from the others and incorporating that. But then kind of as senior fellow, making sure that everybody has a good experience and that everybody's getting something out of the program is really important. And so I was able to focus more on the different projects that the everybody was working on, and and some of the lab projects. Just engage our our theme was engaging undergraduates in scholarly work, mm -hmm. and so seeing what my colleagues were doing with undergraduates, just really creating a professional environment for them, 
creating an experience for the undergraduates that would not just serve only the educational purpose in the classroom, but actually, you know, really give them a boost into their their next step, whether it be into a lab, into professional or graduate school, or into the workforce, uh, was really impressive. That's great. So let's talk about those projects that you that you all did did. So when you were you were uh, a regular fellow and you're you're charged. I mean, the the language that I hear often around the Baylor Fellows Program is experimenting, experimentation. So you're charged to to try something different, to try something new. For for many years, as Holly has has alluded here, we've we've had we've gathered you all around themes so that there's kind of a a core that that you're working with together. But so what were the projects that you all did and how did having a community or a cohort there with you working through it uh, affect the way that you approached the, the 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 project? Lynn is nodding. I'll start with you. So um, thank you. So I, um, uh, I my my year was um, education for international uh, work education. So and I do a lot of international work. So that's, I think, why I was chosen for that. And it was so much fun because everybody then in the cohort is talking about the thing that you really love. So I have to say that. my So my experience, what I was talking about was um, the art of being a good guest. So I take students not only um, to on mission trips internationally, I do study abroad to Great Britain and to have done it in in Argentina. But at, in nursing, we also take our students to the hospital, right? And so I, I translated what I really talk about with my faculty that I work with and my students about being a good guest in the hospital and not, you know, sitting down and taking all the chairs at the nurse's station or immediately eating the donuts that someone brought that you weren't even, you know, given the invitation to eat, um, to translating that into how we are a good guest using cultural, using the pedagogy of cultural humility and uh, being on, uh, being out of the country with our students. So, um, so that was sort of my project. And it, I liked that we had the whole year to work on that. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Richmond, I'll say that because, you know, I, when Lenore called and asked me, invited me to be the fellow with that topic in mind, I, you know, it took a while to figure out what my project was going to be. And then uh, being able to sort of launch it at the provost luncheon. Um, we had, I think that was the name of the luncheon that we got to, to meet with faculty. So I, I sort of launched it there and I had some great conversation around the table and some actually it was the art of being a guest was really going to be my topic and then one of the people at the luncheon said well really you might want to qualify that and to being a good guest so anyway mm -hmm. um it it was a great opportunity to sort of have the time to work on it and talk about it and run it by people who you know have other options to think about um, and then in the spring, I was able to bring that um, into our, our, I didn't do it in my classroom. I did my experiment in, in one of our mission um, meetings where all the students who are going on the various mission trips at the nursing school, we meet once a month. And then, so one person would speak about safety. One person would speak about um, being culturally 
having cultural humility. So that was the, the day that I spoke on that. And because we're supposed to have someone watch our classes, because I was in Dallas, Dr. Wright, Lenore Wright came um, to the nursing school, I think. Did, did you come that day, Dr. Richmond, with her, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so she's the one who observed my class. Um, so uh, it was it was a wonderful opportunity to try something different um, and have input from people who I might not normally have input from. Mm-hmm. Right. That was the beauty, really, for me of that was having having so many different people um, be able to I be I was able to bounce those ideas off off many different people that I normally would not have had the opportunity to do. Thanks. Yeah. Other thoughts about how that cohort or community aspect of it really impacted the work that you did? I think that one of the things that Lynn mentions there was key is having the feedback from your colleagues, but in particular, having feedback from colleagues from so many different disciplines, Mm. because they'll think about things from a different perspective. Uh, So the, the year that I was in Lynn's group, I did a project, I had my students create, so I teach French. Um, so we're working with the language constantly and, and looking for creative ways to get students to use the language, right? It's not just about memorizing the rules, but it's about being able to use the language in a communicative way. And so the project I worked on that year was having students create the choose your own fate stories. I think any child of the eighties maybe remembers those and they were very exciting. So having them create those through either a PowerPoint or some other presentation medium, and it's almost like making a game for their, you know, fellow students to be able to play. Um, and so I, I had the idea to do that. But then once I started getting input from colleagues in the group, the really cool part was, um, you know, so, for example, someone from the business school said, well, you know, what if, what if you take these, you know, get permission from your students, but then take these and create a repertoire online you know, that people could subscribe to, not necessarily for money, but that people could subscribe to. And, you know, instead of just having this class with these students learning this one thing, you could provide that for future classes, or you could provide that for even just people out there on the web to help them, you know, work on their language. So just having input from different disciplines, you know, helping us to think outside of the box that we usually think in was hugely helpful. Yeah, that's great. And such a rare experience too, right? Yeah, definitely. And I'd like to add that in the cohort, you you know, we're all thinking experimentation. And so there were some wild ideas and you could go sit in that room with 10 other people that also had wild ideas and not hear, how are you going to pull that off? That seems outlandish. That's too much. Instead, you'd hear, wow, that's really interesting. Have you thought about this? Just like Holly just said, maybe you could take it even a step further. And I think that the cohort really helps you to embrace newness in your class and and come up with ideas that you think may be too far, maybe pushing it, but could push the students in a way that they haven't thought of either. And that, for me, was the biggest input. From my first year, the, the cohort just embraced ideas that I had and and we all came together to support the the new ideas. And in my second year, in my senior fellow year, I made sure that that was the culture in the room. Like everybody, everybody brought ideas and everybody thought, 
hey, can I take that? Can I implement that? It wasn't, it wasn't my idea. It was our idea. And how can we take these ideas and make all of our classes better? And it was really just exciting to be part of that. I love that. I think, unfortunately, a lot of the the culture of of teaching in higher ed often has a knee-jerk reaction to say, well, that's a good idea, but, and then you like list all the reasons why it doesn't work in your discipline or it doesn't work for your students or it doesn't work in your schedule or whatever the reason may be. And one of one of my colleagues recently suggested a, 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 a mindset that's based on uh, improv, yes and. And so, oh. you know, you, like it just, it shifts, right? The, the, you know, your first reaction is not, but it's yes. And so how can I build that? How can I build off it? How can I make it work? Even if it is a wild idea and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I yeah. think the, how the program is built around experimentation, you know, it takes it takes a minute to, to loosen everybody up to think that I can do this. Right. I, I can do an experiment in my class. And if it fails, that's still a learning experience. Right. And and that's something we need to teach our students as well. You know, don't mm -hmm. be afraid to fail. I mean, get your ducks in a row. You know, you, you got to have your ducks in a row. But there are certain, you know, certain places where it's OK to 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 take a shot to go for it. And having the support of the fellows program is is huge in that. Yeah, Dr. Richmond, just the whole um, the platform that ATL has created with the fellows program is unique. And I can echo, you know, everything that everyone else has said as far as the benefit of having other people listen, but it is that interprofessional collaboration that we know, you know, is being pushed. Every article you read, every um, thing you listen to is pushing that, but there's this lack of, um, maybe for lack of a better word, competition. There's this lack of, um, what are you doing? Am I doing enough? That's just this group that's together that you've created this atmosphere of true collaboration and really learning from each other. And we start with this level of respect for what everyone else is doing and this sincere interest in um, how they're doing it and um, accepting their ideas of you could make this better if you did, you know, such and such. And it's been a great experiment. Yeah, that's great. So Holly was mentioning that kind of growth mindset of, you know, maybe this won't work, maybe it'll flop, which leads me to a question that I didn't ask you to think about ahead of time, but maybe you've got some thoughts here on this is how did the students experience your experiments? I'm, I'm sure they weren't all flops, although, as Holly said, we can learn from our from our fails as well. I'm happy to chime in on this. I my experiment in my first year was based on an article in the journal Science that said, one of the best ways to increase critical thinking is to read literary fiction. I teach negotiation, not literary fiction. So I thought, all right, let's see if we can find some good literary fiction books that include instances of human interaction, because that's negotiation. And so I did that. And, you know, it, it was, I was very excited because I love literary fiction. I love reading. I love books. I mean, that's who we are as academics, right? We all we all love books of, of one sort or another. And so I brought in three books that I thought were outstanding and, you know, classics and great things for students to read. 
And some students were very excited that they weren't going to read a textbook. It wasn't going to be, you know, boring stuff. And some students were so upset that they had to read three books. So, you know, it's, it, it's hit or miss um, sometimes. And, you know, we didn't read a book a day or anything crazy, but it's still, you're, you're bringing something absolutely new and something that they haven't thought of before and a, a different way of thinking about negotiation um, to a business school class. And there was some pushback, but I also got incredible feedback at the end that because you're creating a shared experience of everybody's looking at the same situation, everybody's got the same experience and we can all discuss it in depth. And we really got to some great critical thinking through this, which is exactly what I had hoped for. But again, I told them at the beginning, I said, this is an experiment. I've never done this before. You're the first to go through it. Let's see how it goes. We'll adjust. We'll make it work. Um, and everyone was very gracious about that, although not everyone enjoyed the reading. And that's typical, right? Not everyone's going to enjoy your textbook. Not everyone's going to enjoy your quizzes. Not everyone's going to enjoy the discussion in class. And so we have to build the class that we think is going to get the results that we're after. And that was really the focus of it. Yeah, I was also, like you said, Chris, very transparent with my students that I was doing an experiment. Um, you know, as we kind of all have mentioned before, the idea of you know, the goal being to learn something and to grow and not necessarily, I don't know, succeed on whatever, you know, predetermined idea success is. So I was very transparent with my students. I said, hey, this is new. Um, I showed them some examples. It was actually my colleagues in Japanese that had shown me the um, choose your own fate story game idea. So I showed them some examples of what students in other classes had created so that they knew where they were headed and what they were doing. So we all had an idea of, of what goal we were trying to get to, but we also all knew that this was new for, for each of us. So I think that transparency with the students um, gave them a little bit more latitude to be creative, to not be so concerned themselves with, okay, I've got to have this perfect project and get this grade. And um, because of that, the projects that the students turned in were very diverse. Um, you know, some of them conceived of it in one way and then, you know, different groups. And I kind of had little cohorts in my class. I had a group of business fellows and they had, you know, this their their story revolved around. Um, I think it was a couple meeting in business school or, you know, something like that. Um, but because of that, that transparency and that openness, they were able to be more creative and less afraid of turning in the perfect project and more interested in the experience of, of doing what they were doing. Mm -hmm. That communication with the students I felt like was key. So, you know, throughout the semester, last year we um, addressed our theme was um, how to engage, how to um, better educate the first generation college student. And so looking at that, and um, we looked at universal design for learning, just saying that no matter whether you're first gen or your second, third gen, we all have different learning styles. And so um, just continually throughout the semester saying this is universal for design for learning principle or, you know, asking them. So what what principle are we hitting here really empowered the students and they loved it. They loved becoming part of that. 
Um, and, you know, surveys before and after just showed they learned it. They knew it well. They understood why it was important to all learners. That's great. I'm wondering if any of you remember any particularly interesting or ambitious projects from colleagues that you were uh, working with. You can feel free to name folks if you want to brag on them uh, or not. But, you know, part of the the joy of this kind of experience is just getting to see other people kind of bring their their ambitions to life. Yes, I have. Oh, go ahead, Nadine. Go ahead. Um, this year, Stephanie Bodie is one of the fellows, and our theme this year is fostering student well-being. And Stephanie and I were the first to present our experiment ideas this year, and mine was very focused on what we could do for the students, and Stephanie's was very focused on how we could teach the students to do for themselves. Mm. It was so deep and so fascinating, and um, it will improve my experiment for sure, learning from her, um, but I just loved that immediately immediate realization of we can do something for them for a semester, but the most powerful thing we can do for them is to teach them how to do for themselves. So I'm excited to see how that works out. I'll go next. Um, I, we had uh, Joel, and I cannot remember his last name. Holly, he was in your cohort. Do you remember Joel's last name? Weaver. Joel Weaver. Weaver. Yes, yes, Joel Weaver. So he led. He usually leads study abroad, but because of pandemic, he couldn't really take the students. They couldn't travel, so he used these a virtual. He did a virtual study abroad to Pompeii using these glasses some kind of, um, you know, and because I didn't get to touch him, you know, we were virtual, so it was a Zoom, and he was showing us and talking about it, um, but because I teach study abroad, it was so interesting to me that he could teach a whole study abroad class with this, with these virtual glasses um, to Pompeii, so that was probably the most interesting uh, teaching strategy uh, in his experiment that he did. Yeah, in my group, this my senior fellow year, uh, both Lee Greathouse and Michael Scullin were working with students. Um, they both have labs. And so it was impressive to me just in general how their students were professional lab workers, not just, you know, undergraduate students. But in particular, Lee's project um, kind of, I, it made me chuckle a little bit because I guess I'm sometimes a little immature. But uh, she works on colon health. So there were just lots of puns about poo. Um, you know, her students needed to convince other people to take samples, you know, take samples from, from themselves. And they just came up with this super creative video. And I think they engaged uh, our um, film and digital media department, helping them make a movie um, about, um, gosh, I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was it was based on Back to the Future. And it was just this really funny video that showed that collecting a poo sample was nothing to be afraid of, you know? <laughs> and so I thought it was really cool this having this extremely professional aspect of dedicated lab work, real science, like I said, contributing to colon health, contributing to, you know, preventing colon cancer. And then at the same time, engaging the creativity and even the silly nature of, you know, of all of us with the whole poo focus. 
And by the way, if you live long enough, the doctor's going to ask you to do it at some point in your life. So exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's great. Did you have any thoughts, Chris? You know, it was so long ago for me. <laughs> it, really, it really was. Um, one thing that sticks out, though, is, you know, we've talked a lot about study abroad and we've talked a lot about um, and this was someone in the language program who their their project was a com combination of the language and study abroad. And it, I think it was to France, actually. And it was to go through museums. And there were a lot of collecting of different ideas, different um, cultural cultural tropes and, and bringing those together and, and taking those ideas and then forming some critical thought about how cultures interact. Um, and that, that really spoke to me a lot. Um, I've done a lot of travel. I've done a lot of study abroad. I've done a lot of different things. And I've never really thought about how important it is to embrace, not, not just to go be part of the culture, not just to go to be in the culture, but to embrace it and to really try to understand where does it come from. And that, that was what that um, project was about. And that stuck with me. Mm, yeah. Well, I think I'll use Nadine's comments about Stephanie Body's work as a transition to the last question that I have for you all. So the idea of helping our students to learn, thinking about you know their long-term uh, uh, sort of practices and habits and things like that, I think translates very well to the work that we do, at least the way that I approach it here at the ATL, is we want, of course, our students to have great experiences in the classroom, but we want them to be set up for a trajectory of success and a trajectory of learning and curiosity and critical thinking and all those kinds of things. And the same is true for what we do with faculty, right? We want you all to have great experiences when you come to workshops, when you when you are involved in cohorts or when you're in a fellows program or something like that. But what really matters to us is that we are helping you uh, craft a trajectory of ongoing development in your teaching and ongoing curiosity and critical thinking about your own teaching and ongoing experimentation too. Um, hopefully the, this kind of Baylor Fellows experience demystifies the whole notion of trying new things, right? You can just, you, know, you sort of break the seal on that a little bit if, you, if you're not used to doing it. So I want to ask you all, how has this experience shaped your your long-term approach to teaching have you seen it already in kind of a trajectory in your in your pedagogy i would definitely say that the the experience with the fellows um, and then especially a senior fellow has pushed me to embrace change and i can't think of a semester from the time that i was a fellow until now that I haven't changed my class. And some of them have been dramatic changes. And what, what the, the fellows program at ATL helped me to understand is it's never gonna be perfect. It's always going to need to change. It's always going to need to evolve. And so embrace it and be okay with, maybe this will work, maybe this won't work. Maybe we need to do some tweaking. Maybe we need to do an overhaul. And I really think that sitting in a room with people that are willing to put their class on the line, essentially. And, and that's what you do when you make enormous change like we do in the experiments. You're putting your class on the line, sitting there with people that are willing to do that and willing to talk about it and willing to take that chance has really helped me to embrace that. And so I, this is now something that I do every semester. It, every semester is different. 
because of the fellows. Yeah, and I think that the idea you've got there about change and evolution is incredibly important because, of course, one, we're never perfect, so we can always improve, but also our student body is always changing, right? I mean, we keep getting older, but, you know, our, our students are the same age, yet they have different personalities. Each generation, each group has a different personality. So, you know, um, one thing that I was able to to take from the fellows program was to seek out ways to meet the new groups of students where they are instead of trying to force them into my older molds of how to do things. And so I want to give a big shout out to the Office of Engaged Learning, the undergraduate research arm, um, because after my fellows, after my senior fellows year, you know, thinking about what can I do to connect my students who largely are double majors in French. So it's French and chemistry, French and biochem, French and business, French and whatever. Um, How can I make 19th century French literature uh, useful to them in what they're doing for their career, right? So not just this thing that they're studying because they want to get a French major, but how how is this class going to be useful to them? So I reached out to the Office of Engaged Learning and was able to get a grant from them to support a professional development workshop with my students where I taught them how to write an abstract for conference purposes. So whether they wanted to do a humanities abstract, a social science abstract, business, um, you know, invited, actually invited some of my colleagues from the fellows program to present at that workshop and then had 12 students present at URSA, our undergraduate research conference in the spring. So it was a little daunting to have 12 students do that, but they did that. And one student actually um, was fully funded to go to a social science conference in Arizona through that program. So learning from the fellows how to make what I'm teaching not only accessible, but useful to the students and also, you know, how to use resources around campus to, to help either fund that or support it or encourage it. It's great. You know, it can be over, it, it is overwhelming. And we all as professors, faculty have different demands on us, whether it be administratively or research demands and um, teaching. So, you know, a lot of times we default, I think it's human nature. We have a course developed and we know the learner's different. We know we could do something better, but we we've developed this course and it's where we can go ahead and just walk in on Tuesday, Thursday and and teach what we've taught before. But I think one thing that the fellows program has really taught me is don't let it be overwhelming. Don't think you have to revamp everything you're doing. It's like when you start with a new year's resolution and they say, oh, don't try to take all of your bad habits out at once, you know, Mm -hmm. just choose one. So the theme really helped me. It really helped me to focus on this one theme and let me work on this and research it well and know what works and know what doesn't work, read articles about it um, and improve in that area. Okay, check. I feel like I'm better there. Now this year I'm focused on another area. So, you know, that's one of the things that I think I'll bring forward um, forevermore is what do I want to work on this year? How can I change this? to make what could be very overwhelming. Let's revamp for, you know, the new learner to let's take one step at a time and start to infiltrate that idea into my other courses. Wonderful insight. Yeah. Thanks. And Lynn, do you want the final word? 
Well, sure. I'll say that I think um, in my being in the senior fellow cohort, because we had just come through the pandemic or we're still really in it, we we had so many different teaching strategies that that these brilliant faculty in that cohort had uh, devised, were using, and were sharing with us. Um, I mean, you know, in nursing, we typically have a system of how we teach. You know, we're in the hospital, we're in the classroom. And I think um, one of the biggest benefits for, for me was to see these different modalities of teaching that, you know, I had never even thought of using. I, I, learned, I didn't even know what a Pecha Kucha was, but you know, we had a great presentation by one of our faculty with that. And then I was able to learn it and, and use it at one of the conferences where I was presenting um, after that. So I think just the that amount of different strategies um, that you got, we got to see actually, you know, used um, with these passionate faculty who, who love doing it. So uh, I think that was that was probably one of the biggest benefits for me. That's great. Yeah, thanks. Well, Holly had to remind us that we're all getting older while our students uh, stay the same yeah. age, but yeah. uh, you all are aging like fine wine. So I appreciate your time. Chris, Holly, Lynn, Nadine, thank you for joining the show today and sharing your experiences with us. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Richmond. Our thanks again to Nadine Welch, Holly Collins, Lynn Prater, and Chris Meyer for joining the show today. If you want to learn more about the Baylor Fellows Program and see which faculty have been involved through the years, you'll find a link to our Baylor Fellows webpage in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and as always, you can support the show by subscribing and giving us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. That's our show. Join us next time for Professors Talk Pedagogy.